Is there a desire in you to not just attend revival, but live in revival? Welcome to the Revival Lifestyle Podcast. I'm your host, Isaiah Saldivar. I've been in revival for the last 10 years, as well as traveling and being a part of many revivals throughout the United States. I'm going to be sharing with you how to live a radical lifestyle of revival on a daily basis. Please help me welcome on Bill Wees tonight. Bill, how are you doing tonight? Great. Thank you, Isaiah. Wonderful to be with you. Awesome. I'm so excited to have you on. You know, I was just telling you the last time I had you share your story, we had 10,000 subscribers. And right now we just hit yesterday 200,000. So there's a lot of new people, a lot of new believers, a lot of people recently getting saved. And I was thinking, man, it's such a pivotal time right now that we talk about this issue. A lot of churches are not talking about it. A lot of people aren't thinking about it. It's a real reality. Hell is a real place. Many people are going. The Bible speaks about it. We need to speak about it. Pastors and leaders, there's many of you watching in the chat. This is something we need to warn people about. We need to talk about. And so, Bill, you have such a powerful testimony, such a powerful story and experience um, that's backed up by Scripture. For those of you that don't realize, like all everything he shares tonight, every testimony, there's Bible verses to back it up. It's in the Bible. And so, Bill, I want to turn it over to you. I would love for you just to share your testimony, your experience. And then when you're done, take your time. Uh, we'll do the Q&A portion of the stream. Thanks, Isaiah. Awesome. You know, when this happened 23 years ago, I was a Christian at that time for 28 years, minding my own business, serving God in the church. And I was a real estate broker with my own company. And um, I had never had a vision before. I've never gone to dark movies. I've never drank. I've never taken drugs. And we went to a prayer meeting that we attended every Sunday night. Nothing unusual about the night. Came home from the prayer meeting. And uh, suddenly I was pulled out of my body. So to explain this, this was not a near-death experience. This was an out-of-body experience that's classified as a vision in the Bible. In 2 Corinthians 12, 2, Paul, when he was caught up into heaven in a vision, he said, whether in the body or out of the body, he didn't know. Well, the Lord showed me that I left my body. So in a vision, you can actually travel, like Paul and John traveled to heaven. Ezekiel traveled from Babylon to Jerusalem in chapter 8. And uh, he was told to eat. He experienced the sweetness of the food in his stomach. He wept, he conversed. My point is in a vision, you can experience the same things in your spirit body that you would in your physical body. First Corinthians 15, 44 talks about a natural body and a spirit body. And this is not to compare my experience with any of the great men of the Bible. I'm just trying to give you a scriptural basis of how this can occur for a Christian. I was a Christian for 28 years then. The only way a Christian can see hell is in a dream or a vision. So anyway, we came home, nothing unusual about the night. I had never studied the topic of hell. And like I said, I got up to get a glass of water and I was pulled out of my body. And suddenly I found myself falling through the air down this long tunnel and it was getting hotter and hotter. And then I landed on an actual stone floor in like a dungeon in hell, rough hewn stone walls, bars, filthy, stinking, smoke filled uh, prison cell, but like a dungeon. But Isaiah 24, 22 says, and they shall be gathered together as prisoners are gathered in the pit and shall be shut up in the prison. Proverbs 7, 27 mentions going down to hell to the chambers of death. And the word chambers means inner rooms. Job 17, 16 says they shall go down to the bars of the pit. Jonah 2, 6, the earth with her bars was about me forever. Uh, many more scriptures about prison cells and bars, but that's where I first found myself. And the first thing I noticed, Isaiah, was the intense heat. It was so far beyond the ability to sustain life. I wondered how could it be alive in this place? And um, I wanted to get up and run, but I noticed I had no physical strength in my body. But Isaiah 14, nine and 10 says, hell from beneath is moved to meet thee at thy coming. They will say, art thou become weak as we? And Psalms 88, four says, I am counted with them that go down into the pit. I am as a man that has no strength. Now, if you ever had the flu and you felt weak, it's a thousand times worse than that. Any movement takes tremendous effort in hell. 
But see, Acts 17, 28 says, in him, we live and move and have our being. So even movement comes from God. It's not automatic. Well, I looked up and I saw these uh, reptilish beings uh, pacing in the cell like a vicious caged animal. Uh, they had the most ferocious demeanor. Uh, these particular two are about 12 or 13 feet tall. There's, there's even scripture for that, but I, I'll keep moving. Um, and they were uh, pacing. I mean, they had the most ferocious mean demeanor about them and they were blaspheming and cursing God then extreme hatred for God and we know blasphemy comes from the demonic realm revelation 13 6 James 2 7 some others but then they directed that hatred they had for God they directed towards me and I wonder why what have I done to them but the one demon picked me up and threw me into the wall of this prison cell I hit the wall I felt as if bones broke and now I know a spirit doesn't have bones but that's how it felt and I collapsed on the floor and I wondered why am I not dead from that? And I have to explain one thing. I understood I was only feeling a small amount of the pain, but the Lord blocked most of it. He explained on the way back when the Lord showed up and he allowed me to feel a small amount so I could relate to people. It's not metaphorical. It's not a state of the mind. It's real literal pain you're going to feel in hell. Then the other demon that was in the cell picked me up and dug its claws in my chest and just tore the flesh open. I mean, I couldn't believe this was happening. I should be dead. I noticed I had a body. Matthew 10, 28 says, fear him who was able to destroy both soul and body in hell. And Luke 16, the rich man Jesus talked about, he wanted a drop of water to cool his tongue. He had a mouth to speak, he had a tongue, he had eyes to lift. Uh, but this body in hell withstands these torments. But something else I noticed, Isaiah, there was uh, no blood or water coming from the wounds. But Leviticus 17, 11 says, the life of the flesh is in the blood. Well, there's no life in hell, so there's no blood. And Zechariah 9.11 says, Thy prisoners out of the pit where there is no water. There's not one drop of water in hell. And these demons have no mercy over you whatsoever. They have an extreme hatred for you. But Psalms 103.17 says, The mercy of the Lord is upon those that fear him. Well, they don't fear him in hell. Now, about this time it went dark. I believed it was God's presence there to illuminate it so I could see to describe to people what it looks like. And so, but he withdrew his light and it resumed its normal state of absolute pitch black darkness. But Lamentations 3, 6 says, he has set me in dark places as they that be dead of old. Jude 13 mentions blackness of darkness forever, but it wasn't just dark. You could actually feel the darkness. And that's not an exaggeration. Exodus 10, 21 mentions a darkness that may be felt. Well, I was taken out of this prison cell and placed over next to this large raging pit of fire. This pit was about a mile across. I just had that understanding. And it was a huge hole in the ground with flames raging high up in this open cavern. And it wasn't metaphorical or allegorical flames. It was real literal fire. I felt the heat. I saw the flames. But more importantly, it's what the scripture says. Psalms 11, 6 says, upon the wicked, he will rain fire and brimstone and a horrible tempest. Psalms 140 verse 10 says, let burning coals fall upon them. Let them be cast into the fire, into deep pits. Matthew 13, 49, the angels shall sever the wicked from the just and cast the wicked into a furnace of fire. Isaiah 33, 12 through 14, many other verses about everlasting fire and burnings and so forth. But this is where I could first see people. I could see through the flames. It was so dark, but I could see through the flames. And there were literally thousands of people inside this pit burning. And most of us have never seen a person on fire. It's the most horrendous sight, you know, unless you're a fireman, but you cannot distinguish a man from a woman. They just look like skeletons and it appeared like flesh was hanging off their bones. 
and the screams were so loud and deafening. You want to escape the screams, but you can't. But see, Isaiah 57, 21 says, there is no peace, saith my God, to the wicked. There's no peace of mind of any kind. But Isaiah 32, 18 says, my people dwell in a quiet resting place. Well, you're not his people, so you don't derive the benefit of quiet. And now I descended to get there. I ascended when I left. I understood I was down deep in the earth. But more importantly, there's 49 scriptures that talk about where the current hell or Sheol uh, is the Hebrew word. Hades is the Greek word. And I'll just give you two. Ezekiel 26, 20, number 16, 32, and 33. Very clear it's down deep in the earth. But I understood that. I also understood there were different levels of torment and degrees of punishment. But remember, Jesus said in Matthew 23, 14, you shall receive the greater damnation. Well, that infers a lesser damnation. Or Matthew 10, 15, he said, it shall be more tolerable for Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. Or Hebrews 10, 28, of how much worse of a punishment suppose it shall be for you, you who have trodden underfoot the son of God. There's a worse punishment. But my point is, there is no tolerable, comfortable level in hell. Any level is far worse than our minds can even conceive. I wanted to talk to my wife. I wanted to just let her know where I was at, but I understood I'll never have that opportunity. You know, Job 7, 9 says, he that goes down to Sheol shall come up no more. And you understand you're not going to get out. And you don't realize how tormenting of a thought that is to know you'll never have any finality with your family, with your loved ones. You can't say goodbye. You can't hug them. You can't tell them you love them. Nothing. It's all gone. You know, and see, death does not mean cease to exist. Death means separation from God. You still exist. You're just down deep in the earth. Now, I wanted to talk to a person, you know, even though I saw those people in the pit, they were all kept at a distance. And so you never have any conversation again. You're kept isolated and alone and you have no purpose. It's just a complete useless wasting away. Ecclesiastes 9.10 says there's no work, no device, no knowledge, no wisdom in Sheol. And it doesn't matter if you're somebody famous here. No one would know who you are there. Ecclesiastes 6.4 says your name's covered in darkness. You're forgotten in hell, Psalms 88, 12, Isaiah 26, 14, Deuteronomy 32, 26, Psalms 109, 15, many other verses about being forgotten. And that's an awful thing that no one's given you a thought. The stench in hell is the most foul, putrid, disgusting odors you can't even imagine. But remember, Jesus rebuked the foul spirits, Mark 9, 25. Demons have a disgusting odor to them, but also the smell of burning flesh and the smell of burning sulfur. And if you go to Hawaii to the volcano, they have signs posted where you cannot go past a certain point because the toxicity coming up from the volcano, it's called sulfur dioxide. Well, it will kill you. It's toxic if you breathe it. Well, sulfur is just another word for brimstone. And the word brimstone is all through the Bible. So you're breathing in this foul, putrid, disgusting air that you don't want to breathe. But it's even worse than that because there's not enough air to breathe. You have to fight for even a tiniest bit of oxygen in hell. And I'll just demonstrate to you. This is how you breathe in hell. It was like, That was as much air as you could get. So any moment you feel like you're going to suffocate, you have to endure that for all eternity. But see, Isaiah 42, 5 says, the Lord gives breath to the people upon the earth. You're not upon the earth. You're down deep beneath the earth. God is very specific with his word. You need to sleep in hell. You never get to go to sleep. Uh, just like here, we need sleep. But in hell, you don't get to go to sleep. And every day gets progressively worse. But Revelation 14, 10 and 11 says, and they shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the lamb and in the presence of the holy angels and the smoke of their torment ascends up forever and ever and they have no rest day nor night. Now that primarily means no rest from the torment but no rest of any kind because Isaiah 57, 20 says the wicked are like the troubled sea that cannot rest. 
You know, the sea is always moving. You can't rest in hell and you desperately want to rest or close your eyes, but you can't. But see, rest is a blessing from God. Psalms 127.2 said the Lord gives his beloved sleep. Well, you're not his beloved. Uh, the fear that you experience in hell is so far beyond anything you can imagine. You know, and the Bible says fear has torment. And I know something about fear. When I was 17, I used to surf a lot and we were surfing off Cocoa Beach, Florida. And uh, the guy next to me got his leg torn off, blood all over the water. A shark came by, was longer than my nine foot board, bit my board in half, grabbed my leg and pulled me down under the water. Now you can imagine the fear that I felt at that moment. But that fear that I felt then when I was pulled down under the water paled in comparison to the fear that you feel in hell. But thank God that shark opened its mouth and let me go. And I didn't even have a mark in my leg. That, that's a miracle from God. God was looking out for me then. And, you know, and I was not even a Christian then. That shows how good God is. I became a Christian right after that. But anyway, that was the fear level. I'm just trying to get across to you what you have to endure for all eternity. Psalm 73, 18 and 19 says, you cast them down into destruction where they are utterly consumed with terror. You're consumed with this terror for all eternity. You're hungry and never get to eat. Luke 6, 25, uh, you're thirsty like the rich man wanted a drop of water. You know, if I was to offer you a drop of water, you wouldn't value it. But in hell you would. You would do anything for that one drop of water. And just think that rich man Jesus talked about, that was 2,000 years ago. He's still yearning, longing for that drop of water that he'll never get. And uh, all these things you have to experience, the stench and the, seeing the people, looking at these people being shoved in this pit by demons. And I was standing alongside this pit and then I was beneath a tunnel, cavern walls that were sending upward. And I could see along the cavern walls and through the pit, uh, through the flames. But it's so dark, it consumes the light. You know, a pit a mile across here on the earth would produce a lot of light, but in hell it doesn't. It consumes it. But I could see along the edges and there were demons, some were two and three feet tall. Uh, some were 12 and 13 feet tall, but everything was twisted and deformed and grotesque, the most hideous looking creatures. And I was standing on a bed of maggots. There were maggots all over everything and everybody. But remember, Jesus said, where their worm dies not and the fire is not quenched. And he used the word maggot. And, you know, I didn't know this, but if a dead animal is being eaten by maggots, after they consume the flesh, maggots will die. But that's why Jesus said, where their worm dies not, because the flesh is never fully consumed in hell. So as Job 24, 20 says, the maggot will feed sweetly on thee. I mean, is that disgusting enough? These are all things you have to endure in hell. You know, and I just want to take a minute, if I could, and give some scripture about being tormented in hell. I know I've been given scripture, but you know, this is what's important for people to believe. It doesn't matter if they believe my experience. If they think I'm crazy, that's fine. I'm just a signpost to point them to the scriptures and by those be persuaded. So if, if I can, I take a minute and give you some scripture about being tormented in hell. Yeah. Okay. Bear with me. Matthew 18, 34 mentions being delivered to the tormentors. Luke 12, 47 says you'll be beaten with many stripes or beaten with few. Psalms 50, verse 22, you that forget God, you'll be torn in pieces. Matthew uh, 16, uh, I, I'm just going to keep going. I, I, there's so many I want to give you, but Matthew 24, 51, uh, and so forth, he talks about being cut up in pieces and, and uh, appointed your portion with the hypocrites and so forth and in the flames of fire. Luke 12, 4 and 5 says, don't fear him who is able to kill the body and no more he can do. Rather, fear him who is after he is 
killed the body, has power to cast into hell. I say to you, fear him. Matthew 25, 41, depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. Mark 9, 43 through 47 says, the, if your hand or foot or eye offend thee, cut him off. It's better for you to enter into life main than into hell fire. Matthew 18, 8, 9, Jesus said to cast him into everlasting fire, into hell fire. And Matthew 23, 33, he says, you serpents, you generation of vipers, how can you escape the damnation of hell? Many more verses I could give you about being tormented in hell. But the point is, Jesus talked about hell in 46 different verses because he, he's warning people there really is a hell. He doesn't want anybody to go there, you know, but he's given us that free will to keep the, to choose to stay out of this place. You know, uh, as I was looking at this horror, you know, you might say, Bill, why would God make such a horrible place, though? Why would he do this? But, you know, Jesus said why in Matthew 25, 41, he said hell was prepared for the devil and his angels. He never intended for man to go to this place. It was prepared for the devil. But he used the word prepared, the same word he used in John 14, 2, where he goes to prepare a place for us in heaven or make ready. So what he did in the preparation was, you see, James 1, 17 says, every good and perfect gift comes down from above from the Father of lights. So all the good we enjoy in life, the fresh air, sunshine, fellowship, drinking, eating, sleeping, all the good comes from God. It's not automatic. So what he did in the preparation, he simply withdrew his goodness or his attributes. See, hell's dark because 1 John 1, 5 said God is light. There's only death in hell because uh, 1 John 4, 16 said God is uh, life. 1 John, uh, John 1, 4 said God is life. 1 John 4, 16 said God is love. That's why there's hatred in hell. Uh, Psalms 32, 5 says that, uh, the Lord gives, I, I'm going to stop there because I could keep going with this and I'm just, I don't want to bore people with the scriptures. But the point is hell is terrible because God has withdrawn his attributes Psalms 11, 6, and so forth. He talks about the fire upon people, burning the people, and so forth. And uh, it, it, Isaiah, it's just a horrible place. If, if people could see it for five seconds, it, it would change their life. They would never be the same after looking at all this. Uh, I'm just going to, uh, as I was looking at all this horror, something began raising me up this tunnel, this dark tunnel. And suddenly, this bright light appeared. Now, I was one second ago, I felt like I was in hell. I understood I was there, condemned forever. And suddenly when Jesus showed up, this bright light, I didn't see his face. I just saw the outline of a man standing in this bright, pure, holy light. And I just said, Jesus. And he said, I am. When he said, I am, I, I went out. I don't know if I died or passed out. I can only explain that through Revelation 116. And John, when he saw him, he said, his countenance was bright as the sun, and I fell at his feet as one dead. And he touched me after a time. And when I came to, it was there at his feet that I realized that if he wouldn't have gone to the cross, I would be in that place for all eternity. I was so grateful for what he'd done for me that he gave his life. He suffered a horrible death on the cross to keep me out of hell. I didn't want to ask him any questions. I just want to thank him. And so I just started thanking him. And, and I said, thank you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. Thank you for giving your life for me. Thank you, Lord. Well, after a time, thoughts started coming to my mind. And he would answer my thoughts. But Psalms 139.2 says the answers are thoughts are far off. And I thought, Lord, why did you send me to this horrible place? He said, because many people do not believe hell is real. He said, even some of my own people do not believe hell exists. Now, that statement surprised me. I thought all Christians believe in hell. But I found out since... Many Christians believe in universalism. That's a teaching that says everybody gets saved and goes to heaven. Or annihilationism. That's a teaching that says if you deny Jesus, you simply cease to exist. Soul sleep. There's many false teachings. And he just, again, wanted me to point people to the scriptures. 
that hell's a real place and it's eternal. I said, Lord, why did those demons hate me so much? He said, because you're made in my image and they hate me. John 15, 18, Jesus said they hated me before they hated you. You know, demons hate God, but they cannot hurt him, but they can hurt his creation. That's why Jesus said in John 10, 10, the thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy. But I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. So we serve a good God that came to give us life. All the destruction and the evil that we see in the world, that comes from the demonic realm, not from God. I thought, Lord, I don't want to tell anybody about this experience. They're going to think I'm crazy or had a bad dream. He said, it's not your job to convict their hearts. It's the Holy Spirit's. He said, you just go and tell them. I said, yes, sir, I'll go. But I admit, I complained about this for seven years. Now, I only told my best friend and my mother after this occurred. And my best friend said, would you come to my Bible study and share it? I said, no, I don't want to come. And after three months, he convinced me. So I went reluctantly. Well, it spread from there. And we began getting invited all over the country. Uh, we paid our own way. We never took any money from anybody for those seven years. And that was prior to the book even being written. The publisher came to me and asked me to write the book. It was not something I wanted to self-promote. But I was happy to write the book because I could place in there all the scriptures that have to do with what I saw. That's what's important for people to believe. But, you know, I complained to the Lord for seven years, said, Lord, I, I feel uncomfortable sharing this. I'm too conservative a person. And he said, Bill, it's not about you being comfortable. It's about you being obedient. Man, that convicted my heart. You know, and now it doesn't matter if I feel uncomfortable in any way, because if one person can come to the light of the scripture and avoid this horrible place, then it's worth any uncomfortableness I would ever feel. You know, so God's given us all something to do. And I encourage you out there, whatever God's called you to do, just do it with all your heart because we don't have a lot of time. I said, Lord, why didn't I know you? Now, I didn't explain to you that God had blocked it from my mind that I was a Christian. He hid that fact from me. You say, Bill, where's that in the Bible? In Luke 24, 16, when Jesus appeared to the disciples on the road to Emmaus, it says their eyes were holden that they should not know him. John MacArthur's commentary and Matthew Henry's commentary say, quote, they were kept by God from recognizing him. God hid it from their minds, and he hid it from my mind for this reason. You see, if I was there as a Christian, which I was, but I didn't know, I would have known, praise God, he's getting me out of here. I would have known that because Christians, we know our destiny is heaven. But he wanted me to experience what they feel hopelessness. See, none of us in life know what it's like to be hopeless, because even if your situation is so dire and so painful, you can always die to get out of the pain. But in hell, you understand you're never going to get out. There's no angels to come rescue you, no cavalry coming over the hill. You understand you're there for all eternity. You know, Isaiah 38, 18 says, those who go down to the pit cannot hope for thy truth. And we know Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. They have no hope for him because it's too late. And that's the worst part of hell, understanding you're not going to get out. We came up above the earth in this whirlwind tunnel. Just quickly, I'll just cover this. Uh, we came out of the hell and we were in this whirlwind tunnel and it extended above the earth. And then I look back at this tunnel we just came out of and people were falling one after another after another back down in the hell. And the Lord allowed me to feel just a piece of his heart. And he wept when he saw people falling in the hell the anguish he feels for a soul because he loves us more than we can love our loved ones. You know, Ephesians 3.19 says his love passes knowledge. He loves us far more than you can love your own loved ones. And, but he's entrusted us with the gospel to go and tell people so they don't have to go to this horrible place. And, uh, but that was the thing that stuck with me probably the most is the extreme love of God, how much he loves every single person, doesn't want anybody to go there. We came up, up to our home and I viewed my body lying on the floor. 
It was so strange to be outside your body. I thought, that's not me. This is the real me. The body looks so temporal. It looked like, just like if you look at your car, it's a vehicle that gets you around in life, but it's not you. The, so the spirit man is the eternal thing. And then I saw a puff of smoke go up. I said, Lord, what's that? He said, your life. I said, that's it? It was over that fast. Life is a vapor, James 4.14. And he said, yes, but what you do for me during that short time, I will count for all eternity. Man, that gave me a better overall eternal perspective. What's really important in life? You know, we waste time on so many things that aren't important and not significant, but things that are important are to serve God, do everything we can to win souls and to spend time with the Lord because this time is going to pass like a vapor and then we'll be in eternity for all eternity. And God says he'll reward us for what we do for him. So again, that just you know, it gave me a passion and a desire to want to go share with the world the way of salvation, the way to stay out of hell. And that's what my wife and I have been doing for the past 15 years full time traveling and uh, seeing people get saved all over. And that's what's important. But, you know, he's given us all that to do. Every one of us as Christians are supposed to preach the gospel. And so that's what we're doing. But this vision changed my life. It caused me to leave my career. I left a career making a lot of money. And we started traveling. We paid our own way, like I said. And uh, but it was because I saw the importance of the soul and how much God cares for people. So good. So, so good. And we're going to pray for you guys at the end. I mean, I feel I'm a believer, Bill. I'm a Christian. I'm, I'm a preacher. You know this. But the conviction I feel not only for how real hell is but guys we have to be sharing our faith there needs to be an urgency and i pray that this is happening there's four thousand of you watching that there is an urgency in you to say man i gotta tell we're not saying you have to go out and get on a table which if that's what god's calling you to do praise the lord but you got to have this conviction to say i want to make sure that nobody i knows goes to this place i want to make sure no one i knows ever visits this place and bill one thing i've realized in the church when people have i guess just either not talked about hell or refused to believe in it is because they had a friend or family member that they know that died without Christ go there and so what happens is we change our theology because we know a, a daughter or a son or an uncle or an aunt but guys I want to tell you tonight that your experience does not dictate what the Word of God says that it doesn't matter if you have a family or a friend that you know is there right now hell is a real place and there has to be an urgency in the body of Christ to get this message out this is a timeless message this is not a message for just for a year or just for you know eight years ago or ten years ago this is a message that is timeless because it's in the Word of God and I think a lot of people don't realize that Jesus taught on the literal place of hell more than the literal place of heaven so this is not some maybe people think oh this is a minor issue or like a side topic no this is part of the good news and i think if we downplay bill hell we downplay sin we make the devil seem like he doesn't have power he's not really that bad and eternity is not really that long then we lose respect for the cross we lose you know the honor and the reverence we have for what jesus did and you know we lose the appreciation like when we when we hear about hell this is what i'm thinking bill as you're sharing Thank you so much, Jesus, for what you did for me on that cross. Thank you so much, Lord. I want to know you more. I want to serve you more. I want to tell more people about you. There's this boldness and this conviction that comes upon me as the listener to say, I'm not doing enough. I need to do more for God so that I make sure people don't go to this place. And again, I want to reiterate what you've what you said. Guys, seven years he's traveling without taking any income. If you're on this broadcast, there's 4,100 people watching and you think, oh, 
oh, he's doing this for money or for sales. It is not, it's not that at all. It's a thousand miles away from that. He was going for free preaching. And I know you've shared this before. You, you aren't even one of those people that want to speak. You're not even the guy that wants to be on stage. And that's why you said, I don't want to share this, but God's like, you need to share this. It's not your testimony. It's God's story. It's God's testimony. And I know literally millions have been saved through this. I posted a video. I think I text you this. I posted a, a 10 minute video from you of your testimony on my page and it got 600,000 views in one month. And imagine that 600,000 people in one month have heard that story and the millions and millions have been impacted by your testimony. So I just, man, I honor you for what you're doing for the testimony. Guys, I know a lot of you are on here. You may maybe aren't saved. We're going to pray for you at the very end. We're going to pray salvation, baptism, of the Holy Spirit, all that. But Bill, I would love to, if you don't mind going to some of these questions. Now we did have obviously so many questions we won't get through. There's so many that came in the chat. And then I had some questions I want to ask you as well. So we'll go through these. Um, all of you guys in the chat, if you want to keep putting your questions, you can. I already do have a lot of them, but I'll still add some of your guys's and I'll just kind of go through some of these. Um, here's the first one I want to ask you. Did anyone you see or anyone there know you or did you know them or recognize them in hell? No, I, I didn't have any conversation or I didn't recognize anybody whatsoever. But, you know, you can't uh, you can't distinguish a man from a woman. So you wouldn't know who they were anyway, uh, at least the part of hell that I saw. You know, Isaiah 30, 33 says hell is deep and large. I only saw a piece of hell, so I didn't see all of it. But what I saw, you could not recognize a person one from the other. And uh, so I, no, I didn't recognize anyone. Wow. And that's some of the, for me, when you're sharing again, one of the most tormenting things I think about hell, and you talked about this a little bit, is that nobody knows you. It doesn't matter if you're a CEO of a billion dollar company. It doesn't matter if you're Bill Gates or Steve Jobs or Elon Musk. It doesn't matter. In hell, you're faceless, you're nameless, and no one knows you. And the other thing, I think, I think that leads into the next question. Now, I know what the Bible says about this, but I wanted to ask your personal take on this. Were you aware, are, are people in hell, and were you aware of your life on earth? I think people think when you go to hell, everything's erased and you just exist. Were you aware that you were married, that you had a family, that you... What was your awareness like yeah. when you were in hell? I had my full memory, just like Luke 16, the rich man, when he was in hell, he was concerned about his five brothers. He didn't want them to come there. And he asked if he could, they could send back Lazarus. He asked Abraham to send back Lazarus to warn his brothers. And he said, they, if they would repent, you know, he knew they would have to repent. So yes, you have your full memory. I thought about my wife up in the earth that I'll never see her again. I just had glimpses of you know, because you're in such torment the whole time and in terror, you don't have much time to daydream or think about anything. But I thought about, you know, how nice it is just breathe fresh air and to go for a drive and to see the sky and to take a shower and all the things we take for granted. And I knew that was a thing of the past. You'll never get to experience any of those things and never see your loved ones again. And like I said, they don't even know that you exist, that you're still down there living and can't even say goodbye. So all those things are really tormenting thoughts. So you felt that, I mean, that's, that's a tormenting thought to think you're down here, you're in a sea of people burning and your family doesn't know you're down there. I mean, especially those that don't, you know, again, I know at funerals, we've had several people we are close to and different people are related to in the last month, just um, like freak accidents pass away. So it's, eternity has been on my mind all month because we've had friends and family and people tragically pass away, like five to seven of them we know in the last month. So I've been thinking about this and this, you know, you go to funerals and everybody's saved at a funeral. Everyone's in heaven. Everybody, you know, they, they were a great person. Doesn't matter what their lifestyle was. And everybody kind of just thinks, even the world, they, they just say rest in peace. And 
they're in heaven now but that's not the reality that's not what the word of god says and this idea that maybe our friends and family think we went to heaven when really we're in this bottomless pit of eternal torment and no one's ever going to be able to outside of christ of course but no one would ever know or be able to rescue us or save us um i wanted to ask you this as well i know you and i know it was a vision according to the scripture of what you went through did you know it was a vision while you were down there or did you it was blocked from your memory you thought i'm literally here for all of eternity yes i I mean i was literally there and in my spirit body but i since it was blocked from my mind that i was a christian i felt that i was there for all eternity i'll never escape i'll never get out wow and that was again that's the most tormenting thought to know a hundred million years ago by and you're still there it's still day one so that's what the Lord wanted me to experience, though. See, so I could understand and have more passion for the lost. Wow. You know, and that's what this experience really, I'm hoping to get people can grasp to see how s- severe hell is so that they will have that passion. You know, in 2 Corinthians 5, 10, 11, Paul said, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. Now, even though the scripture is talking about the judgment seat, the reward seat for Christians, most commentaries agree that he was also talking about judgment and hell in general. So when you understand judgment and hell in general, you'll be more persuasive with men. Man, maybe you'll pray and fast for your family members. You'll get on your knees. You'll pray a prayer that's really diligent for them. Lord, send labors across our path. Give them a dream or a vision. You'll cry out to God more passionately because you understand how severe, where they're going to go. If, if they don't come to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. So it gives you that passion, uh, and, and that's what I want to instill in people. Wow. Here's the next question. We had this one. Guys, when you guys were typing, I know hundreds of questions came in. There's 4,200 of you chatting right now. Um, I just put them in category. So we're not going to ask the specific every single one, but I'll, I'll categorize a lot of these. So we'll get, we'll get to your question, but we put them in categories. Here is one that came up over 100 times. Is hell a literal, actual place? Yes, it's down deep in the earth, you know, and like I said, in Ezekiel 2620 uh, and number 1632, it says the earth opened her mouth and swallowed them all up alive and they went down alive into Sheol. So that's literal. It's a literal place. And it was separated by a gulf fixed. And the word gulf is a gorge in the earth. That's what it means. So back before Jesus, there was two sides, the paradise side, the Abraham's bosom and the torment side. And so it's literally down deep in the earth and uh, it's, it's so, but right now it's, there's no more people in the paradise side. Jesus took those to heaven, but the, the people are still in the Hades, the torment side down deep in earth. Yes. It's a, so the, good. And, and I want to add too, cause I know people have argued with me before about this. When I was doing a revelation teaching, they were saying, how could hell be in the earth if uh, you know, New Jerusalem is going to come down to earth and why would God have hell and then heaven above? But people don't realize the Bible says there'll be a new heaven and and a new earth. So it's not yeah. going to be when the New Jerusalem comes, the actual earth where hell is. It's going to be a brand new earth and a brand new heaven. Right. And also it says in Revelation 20, 12 through 15, uh, it says that, um, you know, death and hell are delivered up at the great white throne judgment and cast wow. into the lake of fire, death and hell. And it's wow. the word Hades. So hell's delivered into the lake of fire, wherever the lake of fire is, we don't know. Uh, and then it says you'll be cast into outer darkness. So wherever outer darkness is, we don't know. So uh, most likely then uh, hell will not be on the earth. It'll be in the lake of fire into outer darkness. Wow. So wow. S- such good stuff here. Okay. Here's the next one. And this one again came in. These are probably ones you hear a lot because people have, you know, really good common questions, but this one is, do we have a body in hell or are we just a spirit? I think people think that, that we're just, we're going to be a spirit floating in fire. Um, go into detail a little bit on that. 
Well, you know, I, I don't know if my body was any different than theirs because I was there in a vision. So I can't say 100%, but the rich man in hell had a body. He had a tongue. He was thirsty and he had a mouth to speak. He had eyes he lifted. So it, if it is spiritual, a spirit body, then it's similar to a physical body in that it thirsted. And so forth. Uh, Isaiah 14, 9 and 10 says, Hell from beneath is moved to meet thee at thy coming. They will say, Art thou become weak as we? They spoke and they could experience weakness. And, uh, and Ezekiel 32, 21 says, The strong among the mighty shall speak out of the midst of hell so they can speak. And it says they bear their shame so they can, it's, it's a, somehow they can bear shame and, and so forth. So I, it's a spirit body, most likely right now, uh, but it, it resembles a physical body. And then you talk about in your in your book, even in more detail than some of the stuff you even said tonight about when you were being tortured in hell. Was it something I'm trying to remember because I've read your book so many times, but your body was almost like regenerating, like you were being tortured and torn open. And then it was almost like you're still alive somehow. And you're thinking in your head when you're being tortured and thrown against the wall. And I think you said they had torn you open from your chest. The demons did with their claws that you thought, how am I still alive? But then it was almost like your body was just able to be tormented more that's what it seemed like to me i can't explain that i can just tell you that's what it was like it was seemed like it seemed to reform and was and could be tormented again the same way and and again just one more scripture about the body matthew 10 28 says fear him who was able to destroy both soul and body in hell wow, wow. so uh, it is a body of some kind um but anyway yeah it seemed to regenerate and be able to experience these torments Here's a, here's a good one. Why aren't the demons in hell themselves in torment? Well, they're probably in partial torment, but you know, there's a scripture in Matthew 8, 29, where Jesus went to cast out a devil and the devil said, have you come to torment me before the time? Mm. So he was indicating that they're not in full torment yet before the time. What time was he talking about? Revelation 20, 10, when Satan and his demons are cast into the lake of fire, uh, burning with fire and brimstone. So that's at judgment day when Satan and his demons are thrown into the lake of fire. So at that time, they'll probably be in full torment. But right now, Matthew Henry's commentary and some others point out that they're most likely in partial torment right now because that demon indicated we're not, have you come to torment us before the time? That wow. indicates they're not being fully tormented right now. So that's, that's all that the scripture doesn't reveal any more than that. Wow. And you are, man, you, I know you've heard this. I know you're like, probably don't like when I say this, but you're a walking Bible. I mean, you have the scripture just so knowing, I mean, it's just scripture after scripture after scripture. It's very, very impressive. And, and it's powerful because it validates your story. I know that would be, maybe some people have a hard time believing it, but then you give this verse after verse after verse. And I know a lot of people in the chat are like, I didn't even know that was in the Bible. I mean, you're giving a verse for everything. So it really does just reaffirm, you know, the testimony. It's just Awesome. Yeah. I commend you on that. It's incredible. I love the word, you know, that's what's important for people to believe. And I just want to clarify one thing. I kind of, I, I skipped over because I was trying to not give so many scripture, but this is an important thing about why again, hell's so horrible. And I, I explained that, you know, hell's God removed his goodness or his attributes. You know, hell is dark because first John one five said, God is light. There's only death in hell because John 1, 4 said, God is life. There's only hatred in hell because 1 John 4, 16 said, God is love. There's no mercy in hell because Psalms 36, 5 says, the mercy of the Lord's in the heavens. There's no strength in hell because Psalms 18, 32 said, it's the Lord that gives us strength. 
There's no water in hell because Deuteronomy 11, 11 says water is the rain of heaven and there's no peace in hell because Isaiah 9, 6 says he is the Prince of Peace. So see, if God removes himself from the situation, all the good goes with him. You can't have the good without God. You can't separate the two. Wow. Now, other than one thing, the, the fire in hell does represent God's wrath. So all through the scripture, it says he will pour out his wrath on sin in the form of fire. But God poured out his wrath on Jesus on the cross so we wouldn't have to take that wrath. So you can either let Jesus take it or you can take it. It's your choice. Wow, so good. Here, here's one that kind of ties into that. Is the fire in hell literal? And I had someone messaging me this today. It's not literal fire, it's metaphorical. So I just thought it would be a good question to ask. Is it literal fire or is it a metaphorical type um, fire in hell? Now, I, I believe it's literal fire. Um, they know in Revelation 9, when it, the bottomless pit is opened, uh, it says there arose a great smoke and our air and sky were darkened by reason of the smoke of the pit. Now, it had to be real fire to produce real smoke to darken our sky. It couldn't have been metaphorical smoke that wouldn't have darkened our sky. And it says that was the bottomless pit that was open down in the earth. So that shows it was real smoke. It had to come from real fire. And then Matthew 13 talks about the tares and the wheat and so forth being separated and the angels and all the figures in there about the reapers, the angels, the, the world, the Satan's people and God's people. They're all literal figures. And then it says it talks about the fire. So why would the fire suddenly be metaphorical and all the other figures in that uh, parable be metaphorical? No, it, it's real. It's real little fire. Like I said, there's so many scriptures about the fire of hell. I mean, there's literally uh, uh, probably about 50 verses about the fires of hell. Jesus mentioned 17 of them, 17 verses. He talked about the fires of hell. Just in John 15, 6, he said, if you abide not in me, just as men gather branches that are withered, they are thrown into the fire and burned. So he compared men gathering branches that throw into the real fire on earth. So as we, for the, those that don't abide in him, they'll be thrown into the fire and burned. So that's very clear. He used the same thing. Uh, so that, that to me is very clear that it's literal fire. Wow. Here's, here's one, Bill. Bill, how does 70 years of sin deserve an entire eternity in hell? It doesn't seem fair. It's a good question. Well, first of all, time is the wrong premise. See, we're equating the crime with the punishment, like it doesn't seem fair. But see, time, then if you said you spent three, 500 years in hell and said, I paid for my sin, that's enough time. Wow. That would be works. And it says we're saved by grace, not by works, Ephesians 2, 8, 9. So that's the time is the wrong premise. And also our time is not valuable enough to pay for sins. Wow. Only the shed blood of Jesus can pay for sins, Hebrews 9, 22 says. So it, our time, that's the whole wrong concept, thinking that you paid for your sins. And also, we have to realize who we're sinning against. Mm. See, um, people don't realize who we're sinning against. And Thomas Aquinas said this. He was considered the greatest theologian of the medieval church. And he said, the higher the person the one sinned against, the graver the sin. In other words, if I lie to you, it'd be wrong. But if I lie to the Supreme Court, that would be worse because of their wow. position. And if I punch my brother in the stomach, that would be wrong. But if I punch my mother in the stomach, that'd be worse because of her position. Well, God is infinitely greater in position, but he's also infinitely greater in being. If I step on a bug and kill it, no big deal, even though it's life. But if I kill a dog or a cat, that would be worse, deserving of some kind of punishment, especially if it's your pet. But if I kill a human being, that'd be far worse, deserving of a much greater punishment. Well, God is infinitely greater also in being. 
So therefore, we've sinned against a holy, omnipotent, perfect, eternal, almighty God. So therefore, our sin against him is deserving of eternal punishment. Wow, wow, yeah. such a good explanation. Man, these are all so, so good. And here's here's another one that God asked maybe 10 or 15 times. Is there seven levels like in the book, like in the book Dante's Inferno? And is there different? And then a bunch of people are asking, is there different levels? Is there worse parts of hell? Um, maybe talk about that. You know, I don't know if there's seven levels like Dante's Inferno. Uh, the scripture doesn't say that. It just says there are levels and degrees of punishment. Matthew 23, 14, Jesus said, you shall receive the greater damnation. That infers a lesser. Matthew 10, 15, it shall be more tolerable for Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. Infers a less tolerable. Hebrews 10, 28, of how much worse of a punishment. Luke 12, 47, you'll be beaten with many stripes or beaten with few. And Psalms 86, 13 says, uh, God has delivered me from the lowest hell. So there's different levels of hell, but I don't know how many, but the point is there are worse levels than others and more uh, severe degrees of punishment in hell. But wow. any one of them, any one is far worse than you would ever want to endure. Wow. And this one got asked a lot. I'm sure you've gotten this so many times. And, you know, I guess you can go from your vision that you had. Did you see while you, this is the one they were asking, did you see um, children in hell during your vision? No, no, I had the understanding there were none. The screams okay. and cries I heard were adult sounding screams. You know, you can tell the difference. Mm, of the child yeah, and it, yeah. Also, the uh, the skeletons I saw, the people, they look like adult sized skeletons. Mm. But more importantly, the scripture says, Jesus said, uh, suffer the little children to come unto me for such is the kingdom of heaven. Wow. And uh, there's a whole bunch of scriptures like that. He said, unless you accept heaven as a little child, you'll not enter in. So that indicates little children will go to heaven. So I believe uh, the, uh, up to the age of accountability, children go to heaven. After that, then you have to make the decision. I don't know what that age is of accountability. Uh, some say seven, some say 12. We, some say uh, we don't know for sure. Wow, but wow, really good stuff. There. Okay, so no, you didn't see any children in your vision. No. Um, I, I believe that as well. I don't believe that the children go to hell. I believe that there's an age of accountability. Of course, we don't know. Maybe each kid depends, but right. I, I completely agree with that. Here's another one that got asked many times. They were wondering, Sheol, Hades, hell, are these all the same or is there a difference in these different places? Good question. Uh, well, first of all, the word Sheol is the Hebrew word for the current hell okay. and Hades is the Greek word for the current hell. So just Hebrew and Greek. Uh, the word Gehenna, Jesus used, he used the word hell, but if you look it up in the original, it's the word Gehenna. And that was, he used the word hell for Sheol four times, but he used 11 times, he used the word Gehenna. And that refers to the lake of fire, the future hell. So there's basically two hells, the current hell down deep in the earth. And then at judgment day in Revelation 20, 12 through 15, death and hell or Sheol will be delivered up or Hades will be delivered up and cast into the lake of fire. So there are basically two hells and Gehenna is the referring to the future hell, the lake of fire. Wow. Interesting. Okay. Really good stuff. Here was a, here's one that came in again. A lot of times, what about outer darkness? How can there be fire and outer darkness coexisting together there? That's a really good question, you know, but you know, there's the scientists have discovered black holes and where it's so dark, it consumes the light. It sucks in the light. Mm. So uh, it's possible to have a fire that would not produce light because of the intense gravitational pull or whatever God uses that causes that. So, you know, there's unusual things like the burning bush that Moses saw. Uh, it was burning, but it was not consumed. So, uh, you know, God somehow has a way that there can be fire and darkness at the same time. 
Wow. So just like when he had the plague of Egypt, he had fire and ice, you know, so he could mix the two. And uh, I'm sure he has no trouble with figuring out how to do that. And but I did see the flames. And uh, but it, again, it's so dark, it consumed them. It wasn't like bright, like it would be on the earth. It was like pulling in the light. Wow. And I want to just say too something to reiterate to the chat. You guys have to realize the stuff he saw and is describing a lot of the stuff. There's no English word to try to describe some of the stuff and the tours, the terrors of hell. Like if I said, can you describe how bad it was in, in words? You'd say there's no words to describe how actually how absolutely terrible hell is just like there's no smell to describe what hell smelled like. So when you, when he's describing things, I want you guys to also remember we're trying to describe things that are in your finite mind when you're talking about a an eternal realm this is a whole nother world that's not limited to what we finite understand like well tell me how this could be possible these things could be possible because it's not the same as a finite world we live in the fire is much different the darkness i know i think you said this as well you can feel the darkness it's something that's almost like it's almost like an entity the darkness is almost like a person to where you can literally feel you know the darkness in hell and, you know, Isaiah, in um, Matthew 25, 41, Jesus said, depart from me, cursed, into everlasting fire prepared. So not only is hell prepared, but the fire is prepared. So somehow he prepared that fire to be maybe dark but and consume, uh, to burn, but not consume. Wow. So, you know. Here's one that's interesting. And a lot of these questions, I'm loving them because I wanted, I would want to ask you these personally. So they're just, we're getting a two for one here. But here's one that got asked a lot of times was, could you tell time in hell? Like, was there some type of concept of it's this time? I mean, obviously it wasn't the time of the day, but is there any concept of time while you were there? Yes, I, I felt like I was there. I felt like I was there 23 weeks. Wow. I, I can't explain. Uh, every second seems to go by slow maybe because of the pain, the, uh, everything you're going through. But yes, I had the understanding of the passage of time. And that's why I could grasp that time never ends. You never escape it. See, it's not just like uh, there is no time. It's, it's a passing thing. It just never ends. So yes, I could grasp it. I had that understanding. You know, and even in uh, heaven, it talks about there'll be silence for the space ends. of a half an hour. So it indicates their time. Uh, he said they'll be tormented in hell day and night forever and ever. Remember, uh, Revelation 14, 10 and 11 says they'll be tormented day and night forever and ever. So that indicates there is a passage of time in hell. Wow, guys, we just lost um, just for that one, like 10 seconds. We dropped off of Facebook, but we're back on now. So it was about 10 seconds we lost there, but we're back on. So if you're on Facebook, just refresh it. You'll come right back. I looked at my stats here and uh, Facebook had a server issue. So it was on their end, but they're restoring it right now. Um, here was one that I wanted to, let me see. Um, man, I had one that I wanted to ask you here. Oh, could God pull people out of hell if they die? Or once you're in hell, it's too late to come out. No, it's too late. I mean, its decision is permanent. You know, Jesus said in Matthew 25, 46, these should go in everlasting life and these should go into everlasting punishment. Mm -hmm. He used the word everlasting is the word Ionios. So just as heaven is everlasting, so is hell everlasting. And the same thing in John 5, 29, Mark 16, 16, Daniel 12, 2, Acts 24, 15. I'll talk about it being one place or the other. There's no being let out. You're there permanently. You'll never escape. Wow. And, and that's why it's so important. That's what Jesus saved us from, uh, eternal hell. So you're not going to get out. Again, if you got out, that would be works, you know? Yeah. He let, and he's not going to let you out for works because none of us, our works are filthy rags to God. 
Amen. And here's one that people were asking too. I don't know. I, I don't know if you mentioned this. How did you know that you, if you guys don't know, the book's called 23 Minutes in Hell. That's the title of the book, the title of our stream tonight. How did you know that you were there for 23 minutes? Well, I got up at three o'clock in the morning to get a glass of water. And that's when I was pulled out of my body. And when I returned and I saw my body lying on the floor, I entered back in, the Lord left. And, you know, when I traveled back with him, perfect love casts out fear. I had no fear whatsoever. But when he left, the memories of hell flooded back into my mind. And when I entered my body, I started screaming and I went into a traumatized state. My screams woke up my wife. And the first thing she did is look at our digital clock and it read 323. So that's where the 23 comes from. Wow, really, really good. Um, here is one. If you are if you were in hell and you're an atheist or a non-believer, did, did they finally know the truth? Did they, someone said, did the atheist finally know the truth? Like, did you know once you get to hell, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life? Or are you ignorant of that fact? I think you would know. Um, I wasn't maybe there long enough to really think about all that. I was just in such torment and terror. I was just trying to think of, you know, there's no way to escape this. And, you know, it'd be like if someone was chasing you in a dark alley with a big knife. And for those moments, you wouldn't think about much other than escaping. And so my mind was only on, how do I get out? I can't get out. Uh, this is horrible. Why am I here? All those thoughts. But I didn't really give it a thought about Jesus being the only way. But, you know, the rich man in hell, he did know that his brothers needed to repent. So he was aware of that. So I'm sure oh, eventually wow. would have, I would have known that. That's interesting, but, guys. Think about what he just said right there. The rich man knew, was in hell, was obviously in hell because he wasn't a believer, but he was in hell and he knew his brothers needed to repent. So that's interesting because that shows us that people in hell, even though they're there, know that there's a way. And I think David Wilkerson had a famous sermon on hell where he talked about in hell reliving all your memories of being in church service. Because most people, even those that are in hell, have been to church here or there one time in their life, or maybe they were raised in church or whatever. And it's such a tormenting thought, Bill, that you could be in hell remembering all these altar calls, these services, and then wishing you can go back. And this is why tonight, guys, there's 4,400 of you. I want you to just listen to me soberly right now. This could be, and I'm not, this is not scare tactic, it's reality. This could be the last message that you ever hear. Like we're in all, all of us are inches away from eternity. And who's to say that this isn't the last message you've ever heard. And it would be such a tormenting thing to be in hell and be hearing this live stream over and over again for eternity. Remembering I was in that I was I had that opportunity to say yes to Christ, to give my life to Jesus, and I didn't take that opportunity. So that's a very sobering thought to think, you know, this could be one of the last messages people ever hear. You know, Isaiah, just a quick story. You know, yeah. my neighbor that uh, I knew for years, he was a tough Marine atheist. He did not want to hear about God. I tried to tell him over the years, year after year, and he just mocked God, laughed at it. He was tough as nails. And anyway, one day I found out he was in the hospital dying. I didn't know what of, but I asked his wife, can I go see him? And she says, yes, but don't talk to him about the Bible. He does not want to hear about the Bible. Well, my wife and I went to see him and he had tears coming down his face when we walked in and he looked like skin and bones from being this big, strong guy. And um, he said, Bill, I was terrified last night. And I said, why? And he goes, I was dying. I was slipping out of my body and I was going down this long, dark tunnel wow. and it was getting hotter and darker. And I, I've never been scared of anything. He said, but I knew I was headed to hell. I was terrified and he had tears running down his face. He said, please tell me, what does it mean to be saved? How do I get saved? Wow. And this is a tough guy. 
And so we told him all about salvation, explained he needed to repent of his sins, that God loved him and gave his life for him on the cross, explained all that. And he says, please let me say that prayer. And he did. And all of a sudden, even the wrinkles seemed to leave. And then now he had tears of joy. And he said, I said, you don't have to fear anymore. You're not going to go to hell. You're going to go to heaven. But here's a guy that wouldn't listen until he was on his way. So God had mercy on him, uh, giving him a glimpse. But that doesn't happen for everybody. You know, you can, you can die in a second. We spoke at a church and a young guy came. He was 23 years old. And he said, I don't believe you, Bill Weiss. I don't believe any of that. And his best friend went out to lo- uh, breakfast with him the next day and said, look, you're my best friend. I want you to go to heaven with me. He goes, I don't want to hear any of that Bible stuff. I'm not interested in any of that. That's a bunch of foolishness. And he said, look, you're my buddy. I want you to go to heaven. He said, don't talk to me about it. I don't want to hear it. And he got up from the table. It's a true story. He got up from the table. Five minutes later, his car hit a brick wall and he died. No. Now, his friend thought, man, my friend, if he didn't change in the last five minutes, he'll be in hell forever. And he'd have that time to think about, wow, I heard the gospel. Yeah. I had the opportunity. And now he's got an eternity to regret his foolish decision. Wow. You know, so I, I, people cannot make this mistake. You know, hell is permanent. And one second after you die, it's too late. You'll never get another chance. So please investigate the scriptures for yourself, people that are listening. You do not want to go to this place. You will not get out. And what Jesus said is all true. Hell is real. But because he loves us, he gives us a free will to choose. It's not his decision. It's ours. Wow, so good. Here's one that we can't, you know, we can't escape this question. Of course, everyone, this is the number one most asked question. I'm sure you've answered this question thousands of times. How could a loving God, you're like, I already know where you're going with this. How could a loving God send people to hell? Wouldn't God sending people to hell automatically make God unloving? Well, remember, it's the same God that died a horrible death to keep you out. So how is that unloving? That's the most loving act you can do is give your life. So, but and number two, like I said, it's not his decision. He left that up to us. And Jesus said in John 14, six, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the father, but by me. So he said he was the only way to heaven. So if a person says, you know, Bill, I don't believe that. Well, there's a verse for you in Revelation 21, eight, it says all unbelievers shall have their part in the lake of fire. So he just told you, if you don't believe Jesus is the only way, that's the warning. You'll end up in the lake of fire. Now, that's why you can see why Jesus said in Matthew 12, 37, your own words will condemn you because you said, I don't believe Jesus is the only way. You send yourself to hell. He's not sending anybody. He's given you the free will to choose, but he can't force you into the decision. He's told you ahead of time, there's a trial coming in heaven, a trial date, and he's, and we're going to all stand before God and, and you're going to have to pay for your own sins. If you don't receive Jesus, because he pays for our sins, but you have to receive him as your Lord and Savior. So he's telling you ahead of time what's going to take place at the trial to now repent and receive Jesus so you won't have to pay for your own sins and end up in hell. God makes it clear. He gives us a free will to choose. You know, people, people don't like it that there's consequences for our decisions. Wow. Someone asked, Bill, were you traumatized after this event? And did you ever meet, have you ever met anyone else? In, that has had a similar experience um, as you, what you had. I was traumatized at the moment until my wife prayed. I screamed out, pray for me, pray for me. The Lord has taken me to hell. And God suddenly removed the horror, left the memory, but took the horror away. So he can divide both soul and spirit. So somehow he did that. And I had no trauma, no nightmares, nothing like that. I just had the passion to want to witness. And so, um, but yes, I've met many other people that have also had a vision 
of hell. Uh, some near-death experience of people that were on their deathbed uh, that were atheists. I've also met people that were Christians that God gave a vision of heaven or hell. Uh, one is John Bunyan, who wrote The Pilgrim's Progress, one of the most famous books. He wrote a book called Visions of Heaven and Hell. And he's wow. considered a real credible guy by the scholars. Uh, but there's many, many books. I, I'm just one of the many uh, that have actually seen hell. So, you and know, in, in Acts 2.17, God said in the last days, he'll give your young men visions and your old men shall dream dreams. So he's just fulfilling the scripture by giving people dreams and visions. And he can show you heaven or hell or whatever he like. And this was his own sovereign will. I would never ask to see hell. You know, I'd rather see heaven anyway. Yeah, and I would. I want to remind you guys too that Paul actually saw heaven. He said, 14 years ago, out of the body or in the body, I don't know, but I was. I was saw paradise, and it couldn't. Can't, basically, he said it couldn't speak of it. So it it let us know according to scripture, it's possible for God to show you heaven. If God can show you heaven, of course God can show you hell. God and God can do whatever He wants. So I think for the people that say, well, why God can't and you can't? God can do anything. All things are possible, and we see out of body experiences, trances, visions, dreams that had stuff like this in all throughout scripture all throughout the bible god was get, showing people things through vision so i definitely right. don't think it's out of the round possibility and, for those that are and jonah 2 2 he said in hell i cried out and Jonah 2 6 the earth with her bars was about me forever so jonah is someone that actually saw hell mm -hmm. uh now it wasn't a vision uh he was actually whether he died or not we don't know but he's somebody in the bible that did see hell wow really good so here's one christians are very narrow-minded isn't there more than one way to heaven? Well, first of all, Jesus said he was the only way in John 14, 6. That's number one. Come he on. said he was the only way. But also, you know, um, most of the world religions are based on philosophical thought, except for four. Buddhism, Judaism, Islam, and Christianity. Mm -hmm. These four are based on personalities. But only Christianity claims resurrection for its founder. That makes Christianity unique because no other religious leader died for your sins and then rose from the dead. Jesus died for our sins. He claimed that he did. He rose from the dead and there's much proof of the empty tomb. So that makes Christianity unique and only one way. So that's And I weird. love the analogy that you used. I've heard you use this before and I, I think you, I might have it in your book yes. or I, I have your other book on the questions on hell, but you talk about if I was telling you how to get to my house, right. tell, tell us about that analogy real quick. Right, that was an analogy God gave me. You know, if you invited me over to dinner to your home and you said, Bill, I want you to go south on Highway 95, turn right at Main Street, go up the hill, you come to my house. And But that's the only way to get to my house. And I say to you, you know what? I'm going to go north on 95. I'm going to get off at Beach Boulevard because I think all roads lead to your house. Well, you're going to say to me, Bill, you're not going to get to my house. I'm trying to give you clear directions to my house. The same way God gives us clear directions to his house. I think God knows where he lives all we have to do is follow his clear directions. We will get there. That's not narrow-minded. That's specific. He's given us specific, clear directions on how to get to his house. So good. I think you guys should use that when you're ministering, witnessing to people. I've used that before and people are like, wow, I never thought of it that way. And so it's a really good, it's a really good analogy that you guys can use while you're sharing about hell and about heaven, about salvation. Um, right. Here's, go ahead, go ahead. I was just going to say, the back up another point where you asked me earlier about good, you know, can good get you to heaven? And none of us are good, but you know, an analogy helps people understand that too. First of all, we're not good according to God's standard. James 2.10 said, we defend his law at one point, uh, we've broken his law. Just one thing, if we lie once, steal one thing, have one lustful thought, uh, that's the same as committing adultery and no adulterer will inherit heaven. There's even a scripture in Proverbs 24.9 that says, even the thought of foolishness is a sin. 
one foolish thought or to exclude us from heaven. Wow. So that's a pretty high standard. So none of us can stand before holy God and say, I'm pretty good. Let me in. Job 15, 16 says, man, so filthy, he drinks iniquity like water. But the second reason good will not get you to heaven is, and this analogy might help. You know, if you went and found the most expensive home in the country, knocked on their door and said, oh, excuse me, I'm moving in with you because I'm a good person. What do you think the people would say? No, right? You wouldn't expect them to let you in. You don't know them. I said, but people go through their whole life. They have nothing to do with God. They deny Jesus as the son of God, which he said is the only way to his house. Then at the end of their life, they have the nerve to come knock on his door, demand to live there because they're a good person. What does good have to do with it? You don't know him. You see, he offered to be your uh, father throughout your whole life, but you pushed him away. People push him away. They say, no, I don't want you to be my father. See, God is your creator. He's not your father to invite in Jesus as your savior. Then he becomes your father. Galatians 3.26, John 1.12, John 8.44, Romans 9.7 and 8, John 17.9, Ephesians 5.1, all explain that he's your creator. He's not your father to you. You invite him in. So that's unreasonable to expect to live at someone's house you don't even know. Wow, that's such a good analogy. So good. Um, here's a question that came in a bunch too. Is preaching hell a scare tactic? And I know a lot of pastors and leaders that are watching. There's 4,500 people on here. I know some of you pastors, you've been wanting. I've had pastors write me say, I want to talk about hell, but isn't it a scare tactic? And and again, I, I, know, I know what I want to say, but I want to know what is your take on that? Well, you know, hell should scare any rational person, number one. And Jude 23 said, some are saved through fear, pulling them out of yes. the fire. That's number one. But number two, it's actually not a fear message because it's a message of love because it's a message of warning. You know, I think about 10 years ago, when we saw Hurricane Ike hit the Gulf Coast. Uh, the front page of a Texas newspaper and CNN said certain death to those who don't vacate. Now, you wouldn't say the writers of that article were mean for issuing that wow. statement. No, you'd be grateful for the, for the warning. Well, the same way God's given us a clear warning. There really is a hell. That's a loving message. You know, if he didn't tell us, then you wouldn't know. So he's telling you ahead of time, hey, there's a real hell. It's worse than you can imagine. I don't want you to go there, but I'm giving you the free will to choose. That's a message of love. But it should scare any rational person. If you understand how severe it is, yeah, if you can get saved that way, that's fine. Or get saved through God's goodness, whatever it takes. Just don't deny Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Yeah, and I think it takes everyone, it takes something different to reach them. I, I remember when I was an atheist, I had never had a believer tell me I was going to hell. I legitimately was raised in church, decided, I don't even think I was an atheist. I think I was more of an agnostic, like, oh, I don't believe God. God's not real. He doesn't care. I wish a Christian would have warned me of hell. I wish they would have told me, Isaiah, your actions are leading you to hell. Because for me, Bill, if you would have said, oh, well, God loves you, I would have said, I love me. I didn't care. I didn't care that God loved me. I was arrogant. I was prideful. I was everything you could think of. I needed someone to warn me. So some of you might have said, the first thing God told me when he saved me was how much he loved me. And it was the love of God that brought me. But that's not everybody. That might be your story. But there's a lot of hard-hearted people out there. They need to hear about hell to scare them into it. And I know because we don't say it like that. That's the reality. This is something that is shocking and should bring people to realize this is not a game. This is not a joke. This is a real place. And so I agree 100% with you. Yeah, I mean, it's just like if you if a person says, well, yeah, uh, receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And I think, well, well, I don't, what do I need to receive him for? I'm not interested. They're not told because if you don't, you're going to yes. end up in this horrible place, you know. And John the Baptist, the uh, first thing he said was to repent. And he said, who has warned you to flee from the wrath to come? He told the Pharisees. Mm -hmm. 
So there's a wrath coming on sin. He's talking about hell and burning. So that's what he first started off saying, who has warned you to flee from the wrath to come. So, you know, letting us know that you need to repent and um, flee from this wrath and hell's a real place. So good. I'm going to do a couple more here, guys, and we're going to pray for you guys. I know there's there's 4,400 on. A lot of people on here, a lot of people I know, we, we're going to pray for you, everything like that. But I want to go a couple more on these. What about the person, Bill, that's in a remote jungle who's never heard um, who's never heard of Jesus before? Do they just automatically go to hell? You know, God's so merciful. Number one, though, everybody is responsible no matter where they are on the earth because Romans 1 says that uh, the evidence of design is overwhelming in creation. And so God says he holds us accountable because of creation. You know, look at the human body, how well it's made, the plant life, the animal kingdom, the universe, how orderly it is. It points to a designer. There's design, so it points to a designer. So God says, because I put all this design, I'm holding you accountable just for that. But if that person in the remote jungle says, who made all this? If they just have an ounce of humility and say, God, who are you? God will find a way to get through to that person because he will either get them a Bible, he'll get them a CD or a a radio program. Uh, Even in Job 33, it says he'll give them dreams and visions to keep his soul from the pit. So he'll give that person a dream or a vision about Jesus if they just show a little humility, like, who are you, God, that made all this? You know, but Acts 17, 31 says, God commands all men everywhere to repent. So everybody has to repent. First John 5, 19 says, uh, the whole world lies in wickedness. And Psalms 9, 17 says, the wicked shall be turned into hell and all nations that forget God. So that's a problem. Everybody is wicked and the whole world would be turned into hell without Jesus Christ. So if you just humble yourself, look up to the heavens, God will find a way to get through to you. He'll send a missionary. He'll get a Bible to you. He'll get a TV show, radio show, or he'll give you a dream or a vision. So there'll be nobody in hell that will be unjustly there. So good. How about this one? What are your thoughts or comments about those that teach universalism and those that contest the reality of hell? I mean, you're, you've been preaching this for years. I know you probably have a lot of people try to say, oh, well, we soul sleep or hell's not real. It's not eternal. I had someone this week tell me that when I posted the flyer, it's hell's not eternal. It's, it's it's metaphorical. The whole universalism thing. What are your thoughts on that? Well, first of all, it is eternal. Like I said before, uh, Matthew 25, 46, Jesus said, these are going to everlasting life. These are going to everlasting punishment. So he's talking about heaven being everlasting. So is hell. He used the same exact word, uh, everlasting. So if if hell is not everlasting, then heaven isn't either. And there's so many other verses, uh, Hebrews 6, 2, and uh, uh, Matthew 18, 8, 9, and uh, Mark 3, 29, all talk about everlasting. Isaiah 14, 12 through 15, and uh, Daniel 12, 2, all mention everlasting uh, fire and so forth. So it is everlasting. And uh, But universalism, you know, Jesus said to Peter, in uh, John 13, he said, I'm getting ready to leave the earth. And where I go, you cannot follow me now, but you'll follow me afterwards. Then he said in John 7 to the Pharisees, he goes, I'm getting ready to leave the earth. And where I go, you cannot come. So he just told them they cannot come. So universalism says everybody goes to heaven. He just told you they cannot. And he repeated it in John 8. He said, where I'm getting ready to go, you cannot come. You will die in your sins. You cannot go to where I'm going. That's in John 8. So there's people right there. If you um, blaspheme the Holy Spirit, you'll never be forgiven in this life nor in the world to come. He said about Judas, he said it had been good for the man if he had not been born. Doesn't sound like he made it to heaven. 
Uh, for sure he didn't and so forth. So no, hell is eternal and universalism. It just says everybody makes it to heaven. Well, that negates the cross. What's the reason for us as Christians to go witness if everybody's going to get saved no matter what they believe? And that's what a universalist believes, that everybody will go to heaven eventually. Well, then there's no need for the cross. There's no need to preach. So that's the, that's a heresy. That's totally against the scripture. And there's so many scriptures to refute that. And, and like I said, even Isaiah 14, 9 and 10 says, uh, and they shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the Lamb and in the presence of the holy angels. The smoke of their torment ascends up forever and ever, and they have no rest day nor night. Now, that's not saying you're going to get out. See, Revelation uh, 14 or Revelation 20, 15 says, whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Revelation 21, 8 says the same thing. It talks about being cast into the lake of fire. So it doesn't say you're going to be let out eventually. So God was very clear. Hell is eternal. And there's more scriptures I could go through, but the point is universalism is false. So good. I know we already talked about the good person. A lot of people are asking, I'm a good person. Doesn't God consider that? But we, we kind of already touched on that earlier. Um, and then we kind of talked about, you know, we, we went on there. But here's the last one I want to ask you. I, we went through a lot of questions here, guys. You guys sent a lot of really, really good questions. Incredible answers. I'm learning so much tonight. Um, here's the last question we're going to ask for the night. How can I be sure that I don't go to hell? Well, you know, Jesus said in Revelation 20, 15, whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast in the lake of fire. Here's how you enter heaven. John 3, 36 says, he that believes in the son uh, has everlasting life, but he that believes not on the son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on. You have to believe in the son. How do you do that? Just two verses. Jesus said in Luke 13, 3, unless a man repent, you shall all likewise perish. Now, repent means you have a humble heart and you agree to turn away from a sinful lifestyle and agree to follow Jesus. It's not enough to mentally assent to the fact to say, I can believe Jesus is God. I believe that and just go about your own thing and do your own thing. That's not repentance. It's agreeing to turn away from sin and turn to God. So that's what it takes. And then Romans 10, 9 and 10 says, if we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in our heart that God's raised him from the dead, we shall be saved. You have to believe it in your own heart that Jesus is God. He died for your sins and he rose from the dead. So that's what it takes to be saved. And so, so if good. you're willing to do that, you just have to repent, ask God to forgive you and invite him into your heart. So good. So I don't know if we, if you want to. Yeah. Yeah. We can pray. pray. Yeah. We could pray with you guys now. You know, I was thinking, Bill, when I got saved, I was just, I don't know how to describe it. All I could think is that everything on the inside of me was so desperate for God to be real that I basically told God, if you're real, I'll do anything. And when God revealed himself, I just, everything in me change change return said i'm willing to do anything there's this desperation to say god i want to know you i want to serve you guys you know i always talk about you know it's not about the prayer and it really isn't the prayer is basically the intro of you saying god i want to serve you acts 238 you need you have to repent there's no way around it this whole loose gospel it says oh if you repeat after us you're saved that is not the bible the bible says you must repent you must turn from your ways so if i go and i just pray this prayer but my life doesn't change i'm still living the same way doing the same things around the same people drinking the same drinks listening to the same music that's not true repentance you may have prayed a prayer but that's not true repentance and there will be no one that stands on judgment day where the lord says welcome in because you repeated a prayer it's going to be those that have a relationship with jesus that's repenting of your sin believing he died and rose and all this stuff so guys i want to i want to really make that clear to you guys i know bill just did 
This is not about just a prayer that we're praying. This is about you saying, I'm ready to turn from my ways. Now, maybe you you think you're a believer or you were raised in church, but guys, you could be raised in church and not raised in Christ. You can be living your whole life in church and never truly change and repent. So we're calling you guys tonight to repent of your sin. We're calling you with every fiber of your being, whether you are a believer or not, to say, Lord, I'm turning from my wicked ways. Maybe it's pride. Maybe it's arrogance. Maybe it's haughtiness. Maybe it's uh, maybe it's sin, fornication, pornography, um, alcohol addiction. You're a drug addict. I does. I don't know where you're at. Maybe it's unbelief, but you're turning from that. You're going. I'm going. I'm turning. Metanoia. Change the way I think, Lord. I want to serve you. I want to know you. And the Holy Spirit. Everybody in the chat, 4,400 of you, listen to what I'm about to tell you. The Holy Spirit will give you power. He will empower you, Acts chapter 1, verse 8. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. So you can't live this life without the power of the Holy Spirit. You need the Holy Spirit to help you, to guard you, to guide you, to direct you, to empower you, to help you say no to those old sins. And so if you would just pray with them, Bill, just that salvation and then i'll pray right after you the baptism of the holy spirit for those of you that want the holy spirit i believe tonight everybody needs it i believe everyone can get it and god wants to really move all this you know we've been going an hour and a half here it's all for this moment it's all for this for you to make this choice to repent of your sin and turn to god and you know there is nobody like jesus it's so yeah. wonderful to know him you know this is not a burden but a delight to keep his word you know and uh but being a Christian isn't just a statement of facts to believe. It's a person to be obeyed and a person to come into your heart. You get to know this Jesus. You invite him in your heart and, and he dwells in you. And there's nobody like him. He's the most wonderful person. Your life, he wants to help us through life and take us to heaven. So if that's you, if you're willing to do that and ask him in, then just say this prayer. Say, dear God in heaven. I know that I've sinned and I cannot save myself. I believe you sent your son Jesus to die on the cross for me, that he was crucified, died and was buried, but he rose again and lives forevermore. I ask you to forgive me of my sins. I'm sorry, I repent. Come into my heart. I receive you as my Lord and savior. You are the son of God and you shed your blood for me. Thank you for dying for me. Thank you for taking me to heaven. And I now confess, I'm a born again Christian going to heaven and I'll serve you all the days of my life. In Jesus name, amen. Amen. And I want to pray over you guys um, that God would just baptize you in his Holy Spirit. Luke eleven thirteen says, if you being evil know how to give gifts that are good, the Holy, the Heavenly Father wants to give the Holy Spirit to them that ask. And so I want you guys right now, you just prayed that. I want you to ask for the Holy Spirit. We're going to we're gonna pray for you and all that, but I want you to ask. I want you to say, Father, give me your Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit is really what's going to give you power, what's going to empower you not only to lay hands on the sick, not only to cast out demons, but to also say no to your flesh, to say no to compromise. When that old girl calls you, that old guy calls you, that temptation comes knocking and that flesh wants you to give in the holy spirit the bible jesus said will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and the judgment of god he will be your helper the bible says he'll disciple you he's your paraclete he's your attorney he's your comforter he's the one that empowers you he's the one that will give you the words to speak whenever you need to speak and so just begin to ask him right now and i'm just going to pray this over you father i just pray right now in the name of jesus that you would baptize every single one that is asking lord baptize
baptize them in your Holy Spirit. Father, we just ask you for an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. We pray that you would pour out upon your people. Your word says that you will pour out your spirit on all flesh, not just leaders or pastors, but Lord, that you would pour out on every single person listening, Lord, that you want to bring healing over them. You want to bring deliverance, Father. So we ask you, Holy Spirit, fill them right now with power. I just pray, Lord, fill them with power. Fill them with your anointing, Lord. Pour out your spirit upon them from the top of their head to the soles of their feet and power them. Jesus, you said to wait in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You knew the disciples could not do what you called them to do without the Holy Spirit. And Father, today we admit that we cannot do what you've called us to do without the Holy Spirit. So Father, we pray for your Holy Spirit to fill us. And those of you, maybe you've been filled before, the Bible says don't be drunk on wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. So the same way you can drink wine every day, now you can partake of the Holy Spirit. You can be filled every day. I pray, Lord, for those that feel dry, feel tired, feel weary. You're on the brink of breaking down. You're on the brink of giving up. I just pray a fresh baptism of the Holy Spirit. I pray a fresh infilling of the Holy Spirit right now. I hear the Holy Spirit saying he wants to fill you again. Maybe you got filled 10 years ago, five years ago, a year ago but let the Holy Spirit fill you again in Jesus' name. Lord, I just pray, baptize them in power. Fill them with your Holy Spirit according to your word. Every person that wants it could have it. Holy Spirit, have your way. Lord, do what we can't do. Do what we can't do tonight, Lord. We give you we give you these people. We turn them over to you, Lord. We give you the glory. We give you the praise. We give you the credit. And Father, we ask you just to empower them in Jesus' name. Thank Amen. you, Lord. Amen. Amen. Tonight has wow. been an incredible night. Guys, I'm telling you, you're never going to be the same. Still still 4,300 of you, incredible. The amount of people we're able to reach. I know hundreds of thousands will be reached by this. Bill, is there any closing statement, any closing words, anywhere else they can follow you, find your ministry? I want you also to share about just your book for a moment here so those that are interested in the book can grab that on Amazon or your website, wherever it is. Yeah, Amazon or our website is 23minutesinhell.org or soulchoiceministries.org soul, S-O-U-L, choice, ministries.org. But you know, uh, real quickly, you know, Proverbs 1130 says, he that wins souls is wise. And you know, the only thing we can take to heaven is people. And so we're here and God's entrusted us with the gospel. And that's a privilege that he's given us the words of the eternal life that can help change someone. And so I just would encourage each Christian to just have that desire and that passion. You know, it's great to go to church and hear a message, but we all need to be about the Father's business. And, and most of our witnesses to our life example, do we keep our word? Do we show up on time? Do we work with excellence? Do we show love to people that are ugly to us? And all those things people observe, but also we can share the word of God. And just if you say to God each day, Lord, use me, I'm available. God will put people in front of you and he'll use you. And then that he'll reward you in heaven for that. So, you know, we don't have a lot of time. One of the things, last thing God said to me, Jesus said to me on the way back was, tell them I am coming very, very soon. Wow. He repeated himself and he said, tell them I'm coming very, very soon. Now I felt in my heart, it's really soon. And that was 23 years ago, but I believe he's delayed his coming. Like it says in, in Matthew that he's delayed it to give us this window to get people saved. And we are in the last days for certain. Wow. And so we got to do all we can to win souls. and be So good. And let me challenge you guys with this as well. I have thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of the Revival Lifestyle Podcast. If you like what you heard, go to www.isaiahsaldivar.com for more content and please follow me on Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram at Isaiah Saldivar. See you next week.